Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is our second week of only recorded uh, services, service, sermon, uh, much abbreviated as far as music and that sort of thing. Just as a reminder, we uh, did have some folks with uh, COVID on our uh, two Sundays ago on November 1st, so our last two Sundays, or I guess the, the pe- previous Sunday and this Sunday, we are uh, on camera only. We will uh, start uh, back up next Sunday, next Sunday morning, 1030, right here in the, the hollowed out gym. Uh, we will be back with our live service hopefully, and this is a hopefully because this depends on Sudden Link, not us, hopefully we will be back with uh, the live stream as well. We'll have internet finally here at the church, uh, and we will be able to do the live stream of the service also. I'll, I'll let you know if you're hearing a lot of background noises. John, I don't know if it's coming through the microphone or not, but uh, the uh, cold front that's not going to bring us much cold is blowing through right now and all of our loose um, metal on the side of the gym is rattling like crazy so if you hear something that's what it is don't be alarmed Uh, we should be okay so uh, that's the uh, the announcement we'll be back next week um, live and hopefully live streaming as well provided that everything works out the way we want it to. Uh, As far as we know, everyone that had COVID is recovering fine. Um, So we're thankful for that and uh, pray that no one else around here gets it. So let's, uh, let's open up in a word of prayer this morning and we will look at what God has to say to us from his word. Lord, we thank you uh, that uh, you continue to protect us. Your hand is on us, Lord. We thank you that you have brought these few that have gotten COVID in the last couple of weeks uh, mostly through it. We pray that you would continue to uh, heal them, that they would recover swiftly and not have any lingering effects from it. God, we thank you that you continue to keep your hand on your church, that uh, with all the the issues that, that are waging war against the church right now, you're still sovereign, you're still in control, and that uh, we are still a body of believers, not able to gather at the moment like we would like, but we can still come together as a church around your word, uh, thank, uh, thankfully uh, due to technology, uh, to your gracious gifts of, of uh, cameras and microphones and the internet and, and platforms that allow us to do that. So Lord, we thank you that you provide even in times of trial. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us from it. Uh, Lord, when, when, when it's a hard passage, God, we, we need your Holy Spirit even more, I think. Uh, maybe that's a sad commentary on us, but it's the truth that we need to hear what you have for us, uh, even when it's difficult for us to, to grasp it and internalize it. So, Lord, speak to us today from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 6 and 7. Chapters 6 and 7 is where uh, we're going to be today. Our lying eyes, and I just, uh, all week as I worked on this and and had this title in mind, there was this niggling something in the back of my head. That's a song or something, isn't it? So I just assumed it was a a country music song, kind of like Your Cheating Heart. There was some Your Lying Eyes out there. And then I found that it was actually an Eagles song. 
because uh, uh, just lying lying eyes, uh, John told me this morning, um, none of that has anything to do with the sermon. What, honey? You could have asked your wife. I could have asked my wife, yes. Um, the the uh, has nothing to do with the sermon at all. I mean, I'm not even using the song as an illustration. It was just that's just that was free. There's no extra charge for any of that information. Just the kind of thing that goes on in my head. But um, and you don't want to know everything that goes on there. Trust me. But our, our lying eyes is what we're talking about this morning. We're, we are reading through. Uh, portions of Judges this week, uh, or we did read through portions of Judges this week in our uh, church-wide uh, D-group reading. Um, this was chapter 6 and 7, was I believe Monday again, uh, the, the first passage of the week. Uh, as I said, I read them all, but it was the first passage of the week that, that God grabbed me on and said, here it is, and I read the rest of them, and, and it was just, I came back to here once again. <clears throat> and Gideon is a, a story that is um, often used as a, an encouragement toward faith. Uh, we we all, often use the phrase, we put out our fleece. Uh, let me say up at the front... That's, that's not faith, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. The putting out of the fleece was a test, and the putting out of the fleece the second time was a, a further test. And uh, then it was just test after test. Uh, one of the things that I, I posted in our Faith Life uh, um, D group, group uh, was that... <clears throat> After the first judge, Othniel, none of them fulfilled the, the role of judge the way they were supposed to. And it just went downhill until you get to Samson, who was the absolute worst of the judges. Um, and then by the end of the book of Judges, we're in open civil war among the tribes. The book of Judges is, a, is broadly... Uh, a treatise on what happens when people don't have a king. Now, it's not a treatise on why Israel needed a human king. It's a treatise on why we need Jesus to be our king. It was a foreshadowing of life without Christ. It was a very real um, example of life without letting God lead. They did what is evil in the sight of the Lord, it says, over and over and over. And God gave them up to, to punishment um, over and over and over. So that's, that's the, their life realization, life without God. But as we read it, it's, it's what life is like without Christ, with no king in our lives, king of our heart, we would have sung this morning if we were singing. So Judges 6 and 7, as I said, tell us about Gideon. And um, it, it, it is our lying eyes. Well, we're going to talk about his lying eyes and, and, and what his eyes told him uh, was, but it turns out that wasn't. And that is the case for us as well. Now, at this point in, uh, in the story of Israel leaving 
the, the promised land and, I mean, sorry, leaving Egypt and, and moving into the promised land. And they are there at this point. They're in the promised land where they're supposed to be, but they're not doing the things that they were told. Uh, they're not following in obedience. As if we go back a few uh, weeks to our messages... Uh, we see, you know, a few weeks ago it was don't lose your focus. Well, Israel has lost its focus. And, and, and uh, uh, the next week it was don't forget the Lord. And Israel has forgotten the Lord. And last week we talked about the enemy within. And that's the one we have to be concerned about. And Israel has ignored the enemy within. And now we get to Gideon, and Israel is in a downward spiral, and, and Gideon is a result of that. Part of the result of that uh, downward spiral that results from losing your focus, forgetting the Lord, and ignoring the enemy within. Now, I'm not going to read 6 through 7 all the way. First, we're going to read passages as we go. Um, we begin at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1, with, uh, with Gideon's reservation. Now, the, the words I'm going to use here on the major points, reservation, uncertainty, doubt, and panic, are going to show a progression of faithlessness. Uh, it starts off with he has reservations. By the end of the story, he's panicking. As a matter of fact, actually, by the end of the story, he's prideful, uh, which is, is odd considering where he's been, but that just shows this degradation uh, of his character. Uh, actually, it probably wasn't a degradation. This was who he was to begin with. Um, but we see it as we move through. Uh, verses 1 through 24, chapter 6, verses 1 through 24. says, The Israels did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, right? They lost focus, they forgot the Lord, and they ignored the enemy within. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the Kedemites came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without, were, were without number, and they entered the land to lay waste to it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in. But you did not obey me. So what we see here first is, in verses 1 through 10, is Israel's evil doing. Uh, we see, and actually that's at the end, verse 10, you didn't obey me. And the result of that is Midian showing up for seven years and oppressing uh, Israel. It was a, a discipline from the Lord, which he promised that they would have if they, if they didn't obey him. They wouldn't take the land. They, they wouldn't be able to defeat the enemies. Uh, the enemies would defeat them. And then it's the, the rebuke in verses uh, from the prophet 
in verses 8 through 10. I did all these things for you, but you didn't obey me. Now, we can go back to last week, and we can talk about how um, when the, the, the captain of the angels showed up, the commander of the angels showed up, Joshua fell in worship, and, and, and the, he obeyed all these commands that didn't make sense from the Lord about how to take Jericho. And we, we, I mentioned that obedience is holy ground. Obedience is worship. Uh, if we claim to worship, we will obey. They're not. They're not worshiping. They're not obeying. They are, and we see the rebuke and the evil. But then, because of God's willingness to continue to try to bring His people back to them, to Him, uh, to Himself, to to correct them, to guide them, He's going to raise up a judge. And verse thir- uh, verse eleven says, "The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, Abiezrite." And his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Now that, that moniker there, valiant warrior, is kind of strange considering all that Gideon does. But that's what God calls him and tells him, This is who you can be. And I think that's a lesson there for us that we're not going to get into in, into any great deal, uh, get into in any great detail this morning. But there are names that we could have that if we would just obey, we would be so much more, obviously, what God wants us to be, what God has for us. But when we choose to disobey, we're not the valiant warrior. That's, a, that's another sermon. I'll, I'll stop there. Gideon replies in verse 13, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed over us over to Midian. So right off the bat now, Gideon's response to God choosing him to be the the leader of his people is to blame God. Oh, if we're chosen God, if I'm chosen God, why has God why have you done this to us? Why have you why you said you were going to protect us from all these people. You said it was going to be this way and now it's this way. He really thinks that it's God's fault that they're in this trouble. You did this. It, it says he's, he is, uh, this valiant warrior is threshing wheat in a, in a wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat. You thresh wheat out in the open so that the wind, as you toss it up in the air, the wind can blow the chaff and the wheat falls. You, the wine press is a wall covered with a ceiling and uh, probably a building on the back. It's not where you thresh wheat unless you're scared somebody's going to see you. And this valiant warrior is worried that the Midianites are going to come and steal his food. So he, he blames God. We're in this situation, God, because of you. You made these promises and you're not, do, you're not fulfilling your promises. How often do we get in the same place? Saying, God, how in the world can you do this when I thought you said you were going to do this, but instead this is happening? Well, we, like Gideon, 
are blind to the reality of sin. And Gideon was blind to it. Now, how he was blind to it, how he could possibly be blind to it, I don't know. Because we're going to learn here in just a little bit that Gideon's father was a well-known, very wealthy, likely, priest, we would almost call him, of Baal. He owned an altar to Baal right there in their town. And he was the, the one who benefited financially from that. How Gideon could say, God, how could you do this to us? I wish I could say, I don't understand it, but wow, I really do. Uh, we so often, our eyes lie to us. And we say, I don't deserve this. The truth is, we probably deserve even worse. But certainly, when God says, if you do this, I will do this and we disobey, why would we think God still owes us the thing he promised? Well, Gideon thought he did. So he blames God uh, in response to God showing up and talking to him, the angel of the Lord appearing to him. In verse 15, he, he argues with God. Verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. Verse 15, he said, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. He argues... And he lies, really. Uh, they are not the weakest family uh, in, in Manasseh. They, they may be, uh, as far as the tribe is concerned, they might not be the most popular, the most powerful, or whatever. But in their town, in their, their area, they are a prominent family. But he argues with God. We, we should hear, as we read this, some shadows of the conversation with Moses at the burning bush. Uh, he's already talked about the swarm of locusts that Midian is, and that sort of imagery would conjure up for the readers, especially the, 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 um, the plagues uh, of Egypt uh, that came onto Egypt. And then we hear this conversation, and, and Gideon's going to argue with God about it. God says, I will, I will go with you. Uh, I am sending you, rather. Gideon argues in 15. and 16, God says, but I will be with you. Uh, listen to the promises over and over. I will be with you. I am sending you. I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. This is God saying, this is what will happen. Notice there are no caveats. There's no uh, question of obedience, at least not recorded. It's not, if you will do these things, then I will do this through you. He is just telling him, this is the way it will be. Then in verse 17, Gideon doubts. Gideon said to him, If I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he goes and he brings the gift and, and makes the, uh, 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 a meal for this angel of the Lord, who the, the angel turns out not really interested in eating and tells him, Instead, use that to build an altar to God and worship Him. But Gideon doubts. So he, argue, he blames God first, then he argues with God, then he doubts God. And verses 19 through 24, God reassures him. The angel of the Lord said to him in verse 20, In verses 19 through 24, though, God reassures Gideon, 
and and lets him know that he will he will be with him. Uh, Gideon brings this meal to feed the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord says, uh, "Make it an altar. Make it an offering. Take the meat." In verse twenty, take the meat with the unleavened bread. Put it on this stone and and pour the broth on it. So he did that. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Now, uh, if you're going to see that, uh, and then that should bring to mind what happens later on with Elijah on Mount Carmel when the, uh, the uh, fire falls from heaven and burns up the offering uh, so that should immediately tell uh, Gideon, hey, it's okay. That, that was an impressive thing. I've got the sign that I needed. I asked for a sign. I got it. But in verse 22, when Gideon realized he was, that he, this guy, the angel of the Lord, was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's even in the midst of God's reassurance, Gideon is fearing. Now it... We see over and over in the Old Testament, when people saw the Lord, they feared. And, and that's, that's not, uh, we see it in the New Testament, when the shepherds saw the angels, they feared. That in and of itself is not a negative thing. As a matter of fact, that should be a good response. But the problem here is that Gideon never caught on beforehand, and some of this fear is he's realizing that he blamed God and argued with God and doubted God and then when God proved exactly who he was Gideon got scared all over again verse 23 and 24 peace to you don't be afraid for you will not die I'm thinking that if uh, God was going to do something with Gideon about all the arguing, the doubting, and the uh, blaming, he would have already done it. But Gideon, we'll wait a second while this uh, fire truck goes by. Normally they just go down Huntington, but of course this one had to go behind us. Uh, and here comes another one. That's some, that's some good TV right there. Uh, God reassures him, and, and Gideon still is afraid. Well, for us this morning, as we read about Gideon, as we see what's going on, we need to understand that our lying eyes will tell us to be skeptical. We will look around. We will see all the things going on. We will want to blame God. We will want to argue with God. We will doubt God. And even in God's reassurance, we will doubt God again and fear the, the thing that we are being told to do. Our lying eyes will tell us to be skeptical and we have to tell our lying eyes to trust God. The next step downward in Gideon's journey is his uncertainty. And we see this in uh, verses 25 through 34. Um, and on the slide there, I believe that should say verse 27, not verse 17. Yeah, that's, that's what it should say. Uh, God tells Gideon in verse 25, On the very night the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, uh, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. 
build a well, uh, a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on the top of this mound. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Those are the commands. That's what he has to do. So Gideon took ten of his male servants. I guess he wouldn't need the help, or he was scared and wanted backup, and did as the Lord had told him. But, 27, because he was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. Verse 27, Gideon was afraid. Gideon was afraid. God has told him what to do. God has proven that he's going to be with him. He's made the fire come up and burn the offering. It's over and over. God says, I'll be with you. you I'm, I'm sending you. And Gideon is afraid. So he does this now at night instead of during the day. I don't know that God specified. There's no record that he said, do it during the day, not at night. But we are told explicitly he did it at night because he was afraid. We have an obvious theme already of doubt and fear going in the life of Gideon. And then we see what's going on around Gideon. He, he did it at night like he was supposed to. Verse uh, 28 when the men of the city... Sorry, there's another siren behind me, so that's why I'm smiling. I'm not smiling at what's going on with Gideon. Something major is happening down the road. Um, when the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down, the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull offered up on the altar that had been built. They said to each other, Who did this? After they made a thorough investigation, they said, Gideon, son of Joash. Now, see here in verses 30 through 32 how Israel revels in their idolatry. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Israel was not giving up. This area, the, the people, were not giving up on their idolatry. And when... God, through His messenger, calls out their idolatry and tears down the idols uh, that they have built because of their idolatry. They turn on God and His messenger. Well, that happens more often than you would think as well. This is the first time in Judges, but it's not the last time, that the judge is attacked by his own people. That God's messenger gets turned on by the people he was sent to help sent to, to tell the truth to. Um, truth is, that hasn't stopped even today. Uh, but that's how far they have sunk. That's how far Israel is gone. When, when someone shows up and tells them this is wrong and tears down the, the very uh, evidence, the, 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 the ability they have uh, to, to do what is wrong, they want to kill him and get rid of him. That's where Israel is. That's, and, and I tell you that just so that we see as, uh, as readers of this story where Israel as a people, as a group is, but also to see where we might find our own reflection in that. Israel turns against him. Uh, or this, this, this tribe, this, this clan, turns against him. And then uh, in verse 33, or verse 34 rather, it says that the Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon. 
Gideon did not die. They did not get a hold of him. As a matter of fact, uh, his dad stood up for him and said, look, if Baal's got a problem with what Gideon did, let Baal take care of him. Um, and Gideon got away. And they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't kill him. Verse 33, the, the enemies of Israel begin to gather. And in verse 34, God gives Gideon his spirit. Now, look, okay? He has blamed God, argued with God, doubted with God, feared God, feared people, and now God is giving him his spirit. And we would think, we would think at this point, Gideon just turns it on. Now, Okay, now I get it. I have been protected, and now I've got God's spirit. I am, I am ready to go. Now I understand, and we can move forward. Well, our lying eyes will tell us it can't be. Our lying eyes will tell us that there's just no way. It will, be, it will lead to uncertainty. Our lying eyes will say, okay, sure, I saw the fire. Sure, I saw the little altar thing. That was great. Yes, I was protected from uh, the, 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 my clan when I tore down the altars. But our lying eyes will tell us that was coincidence. That wasn't God. That was just my dad protecting me. That wasn't God protecting me. That was an event in the past that's not an example of what God is going to continue to do in my life. Our lying eyes will tell us it can't be. Gideon's spiral continues now to, we'll call it, full-fledged doubt in verses 35 through 40. Now the Spirit of the Lord has enveloped Gideon and he blew the ram's horn and, uh, and the Abiezrites rallied behind him, it says. And then he sends a messenger, verse 35, throughout all of Manasseh, who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, uh, who also came to meet him. Verse 36, Gideon tests God. Then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength, as you said. And this is what happened. Uh, and rather, and that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. Gideon then said to God, Don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Do you hear Abraham bargaining with God about Sodom? You should. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let it remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. That night, Gideon, uh, that night God did as Gideon requested. Only the fleece was dry and dew was all over the ground. Now in verse 37, Gideon lost his focus. He, 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 he has seen God work. He has seen God's miracles already. And he loses his focus. He sees everything around him and he doesn't see God. But God was gracious. God answers his request. God answers his prayer. Let me put out the fleece. If it's wet and the ground's dry, I'll believe you. Except that I won't. I'm going to ask for it again. This time make the ground wet and the fleece dry. God was gracious. But then in verse 39... He not only has lost focus, he has no faith right now. None at all. He says, I see that you did it the way I asked the first time, 
But was that a coincidence? No, but that seems to be the way he's acting. Can you do it this way? Can we reverse it tonight just so I know it's you? Y'all, this is not faith. This is the opposite of faith. This is Gideon not believing God when God says he will do something. I mean, if we look back, and we look back at the, the command, actually if we go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 6, or, or uh, rather chapter 10, uh, let me find it. Verse 16, rather, of chapter 6. The Lord says, I will be with you. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. That's God's promise. Gideon will strike down Midian as if it were one man. Now, they're, they're like locusts, it says. But, but Gideon will strike them down as if they were one man. And yet in verse 34, or 35, he sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. Midian is one man to God, and Gideon is trying to get everybody he can to come help him. Why? Well, he had no command to draft an army. But Gideon is afraid. Gideon doubts that God can do what God has said God can do. We have no... God did not say draft an army. God did not say test me in this way. And yet Gideon over and over doubts God. Now, of course, everything in the, isn't in the text. Did God tell him somewhere to draft an army and we just don't have the recording of it? Probably not. The author puts in the text what God tells him to put. If we had needed to know of an army, of a command to draft an army, we'd have been told. We're instead told... Of a drafting uh, of a draft when there wasn't a command to draft, and that means something to us. Our lying eyes will tell us it won't work out. Gideon's lying eyes told him it would not work out, and so he had to take steps to make sure that it would, both in testing God and doing things he wasn't supposed to. And then we get to Gideon's panic. Judges 7, 1 through 15. We move on through the chapter. Gideon's got this huge army. Uh, we find out that it is uh, 32,000 strong once we work the numbers a little bit, do a little, do a little math. Gideon and all the troops, verse 1 of chapter 7, uh, Gideon and all the troops who were with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, My own strength saved me. That's some foreshadowing right there. Get ready for that to come true. Now announce to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many troops. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If I say to you, This one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, This one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouths was 300 men, and all the rest of the troops knelt to drink water. 
The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the three hundred men who lapped and hand the Midianites over to you, but everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 troops who took the provisions and their trumpets. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So in verses 1 through 8, we see that God takes away Gideon's security. God has told him to do something to take Midian. Gideon has his plan for how that's going to work. He's going to do it with these troops of 32,000 from uh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And God says, no, you're not. Everything you're depending on, Gideon, I'm going to take from you. Your, your, your people, your, your uh, um, weapons, the, the you know, finances, whatever it is we depend on, God says, I'm going to take that from you until you realize that I am the one you have to depend on. This was all of Gideon's strength and confidence. Gideon finally had faith, except it wasn't faith. It was faith in himself. Dependence on his own abilities, dependence on this army of 32,000, and God takes it away from him. And verses 10 and 11, we realize that, of course, it did what we would expect with Gideon. Not that it would make him more uh, dependent on God, but make him more fearful, make him more doubtful, and he could not see a good ending Verse 9, that night the Lord said to him, Get up and attack the camp, for I have handed it over to you. But, if you are afraid, like God didn't know he was afraid, if you are afraid to attack the camp, go down with Pura, your servant. Listen to what they say, and then you will be encouraged to attack the camp. At this point, what Gideon should have said was, Lord, I don't need another sign from you. I've seen the fire on the altar. I've seen the the fleece. I, I, I know the stories from how you took us out of Egypt. I don't need to test you again. Let's go attack the camp exactly like you said, like Joshua did with um, Jericho. That's not what Gideon did. He was afraid for about the third, maybe fourth time And the end of verse 11, So he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. This is not the valiant warrior of uh, verse 12 in chapter 6. This is a man who cannot, who will not trust God. But when he gets there, God in his graciousness again confirmed his promise. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the Ketamites who uh, had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camel, camels were as numerable, numerable, innumerable as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, listen, I had a dream. A, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. His friend answered, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. God confirmed the promise. Loaves of bread don't tear down tents. But what happens when God is with a loaf of bread is that Gideon could have defeated Midian as if it were one man. What verse uh, 17 said he would do. Gideon actually has, at this point, less faith than the Midianites, the ones who don't follow God. 
He has less faith than them. I pray that that is not uh, a, a descriptor of, of, of us as believers sometimes, that we have less faith in the God we serve than those who don't even believe in God around us. And sometimes our actions, I think, actually do show that we have less faith. See, our lying eyes will tell us that overcoming isn't possible. That the battle is too great, the enemy is too strong, the, the, our abilities are too weak, that God has given us too little to work with, and we will think it's just not possible. But we must not trust our lying eyes. I should have changed that sooner. Don't trust your lying eyes. Our lying eyes will tell us it is hopeless I mean, we, we, we certainly are going to ask questions of how, why, and when. Those, those questions are going to come. We are going to wonder how in the world God's going to do it. Why is He choosing, it to, choosing to do it this way? And when is the end going to come in this? But those questions cannot be allowed to discourage or dissuade us from obedience. They cannot be allowed to hijack our faith. Our eyes will lie to us every time. Now, folks, if you are on Facebook, you saw that I posted this week, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, just a one sentence, I really want to believe my sermon this week. Y'all, this is... Preachers don't always uh, get their own sermons and live them perfectly every time. It doesn't work that way. We are just as human as anybody else. And I'll be incredibly blunt with you. I look around and I see what pandemics and hurricanes and elections are doing to our church. The people we're losing because of those things. And even going back further, we can go back for 14 years and see our church declining. And I look at that and I see exactly what I said on social media to, in, reply, in response to someone's comment that I look around and see something that we need 32,000 people for, and God says, you need to do it with 300. And I think there is no way, God, there's no way that we can come out of this in January, February, March, April, whenever this all ends, and succeed. Beat the enemy, whatever the enemy is, uh, whether the enemy is shutting the doors of the church or, or, or what. I, I look at it and, and most days I say it's just not possible. Attendance declining, giving declining. And I look at those metrics and I look at the bills and I look at all of this and I say it's just not possible for it to happen. I've got to do something to fix this. I've got to make hard decisions in order to, to, to stave off the end that I see. Our eyes will lie to us. I didn't like this sermon this week. I didn't like that that's what God told me to preach this week because I would much prefer to live in my own strength and my own worry and, and, and try to fix the problem myself instead of having enough faith to not try to put out any sort of fleece, to not have to go down into the camp to see what they're saying down there, and just trust God. 
to be able to say when he says, go check things out if you don't believe me, to say, nope, I believe you. That's where I need to be. That's where I want to be. That's why this sermon this week is for me. Our eyes will lie to us. And we need to trust God. Now, I want to wrap up quickly. I know uh, I think I'm getting a little long on my, my message this morning. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know. We started a little later. and So uh, anyway, um, I don't know where I am time-wise exactly. But there's something, there's a warning here as well. That we have to see this warning. In verses 16 through 22, we see the final, well, it's not even the final end for Gideon. There's a whole other chapter about him. But we see where all this finally takes Gideon, and that is to his pride. After all of this doubt, after all of this fear, after all of this questioning, after fighting a battle with 300, we get to pride. Verse 22 of chapter 7. They, now there's a whole... Actually, let's read the whole thing so you, you get the idea of, of what went on here. They, they beat the Midianites the same way they beat Jericho, with no fighting. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and the, its interpretation, he bowed in worship in verse 15 of chapter 7. He returned to Israel's camp and said, Get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. Wow, big faith now, right? He's already here anyway. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and gave each of the men a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher with a torch inside it in the other. Let's get that image for a second. These are military men. What are they carrying? A trumpet and a pitcher with a torch. Which hand are they holding the sword with? They don't have a third hand. This isn't some special army. They don't have a sword. They may have one on their side, but it's not in their hand. Watch me, verse 17, watch me, he said to them, and do what I do. When I come to the outpost of the camp, do as I do. When I and everyone with me blow our trumpets, you are also to blow your trumpets all around the camp. Then you will say, for the Lord and for Gideon. Really, Gideon, for you? Yeah. Gideon and the hundred men who are with him went to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle, of, uh, beginning of the middle watch. After the centuries... Had, uh, had been stationed. They blew their trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and shattered their pitchers. Uh, they, they held their torches in their left hands, their trumpets in their right hands, and shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each Israelite took his position around the camp, and the entire Midianite army began to run. And they cried out as they fled. When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. They fled to Acacia House in the direction of Zerera, uh, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah, near Tabath. Then the men of Israel were called from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, and they pursued the Midianites. What you need to see here in verse 22 is that God won the battle. When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn, to, turn on each other with their swords. Gideon's army wasn't even carrying, at least not in their hands, weapons. They did nothing to win this battle. God won the battle. Yet, look back at verse 18 and 20. For the Lord and for Gideon. For the Lord and for Gideon. This was not for Gideon. 
And he tells them, uh, let's go back just a, a second. Well, no, it's not. Yeah, here we go. In verse 20, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They weren't even carrying swords. Yet Gideon is taking all of this honor and putting it on himself. You know, it is so much God doing it that, in fact, where it says in uh, verse 22, when Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets... No, actually it's verse 19. It says they blew their trumpets. In Hebrew, it actually says the trumpets blew. It doesn't even give the men credit for blowing the trumpets. It was their air, their lips, but it was the trumpets making the noise. The, the scripture doesn't give the 300 men any credit for winning this battle. Gideon shouldn't have any credit for winning this battle, and yet he takes the honor. And as you read chapter 8, that wasn't a part of our reading this week, but as you read chapter 8, you can see it more and more. He even ends up setting up an idol, uh, the, the shirt he was wearing, or rather that he made out of plunder. They begin to worship that, and he's, all right, whatever. What we need to see, and I'm talking about now after all this is over and when the battle is done with the 300 God has given us and when we get to March, April, or May or whatever and we look around and we wonder how in the world God got us through, we cannot let our lying eyes tell us that we did it. We didn't do it. God did it. If we make it through this time, if we make it through the pandemic, if we overcome the hurricanes, if we see God move in any way through our church and our community, it is not us, it is God. Our lying eyes will tell us that we did it. Our lying eyes will tell us to take credit. But let's go back just a little bit. Where's the enemy? It's in us. That voice in us saying, didn't you do a good job? That is the enemy in us. We will want to say, we won, we conquered, we defeated, we overcame. And we cannot get to the point where Israel was, where they say, didn't we do it? No, we have to say, didn't he do it? That's where we have to be. And that begins... That, that pride, again, this is a spiral for Gideon. The pride that he ended up with began with his reservation that God could do it at all. And we end up at a point where he takes the glory. Church, we cannot begin with reservations and hemming and hawing and wondering if God's going to do things. And well, I know he's done this and I know he's done that. I know this promise here, but I cannot believe those things until I see this and I see that. And even when it does happen, we don't believe it's God by, uh, because we end up saying, well, we sure did have good faith, didn't we? We sure did do a good job. We cannot do that. Y'all, it's the same difficulty we have with salvation. I want to be able to save myself. It's that pride that says, I should be able, I don't have to, I shouldn't have to depend on Jesus. Well, we do. Believer, we have to depend on God every day, but to be a believer, we've got to depend on Jesus that first time. Understand that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Know that because of that sin, I deserve death 
but there's a gift of God that is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God proved he love us, loves us by sending Jesus to die for us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, it's a conquering of pride. It's, it's a believing in what God has said and, and the proof he has given us, the empty tomb, the miracles of Jesus, his word with us today. Today, I pray that you respond as, as someone who has never trusted Christ. You respond in faith and you, you saw the, uh, the verses of scripture on the screen Rewind if you need to hear those again. Uh, they'll, they'll actually be on uh, the, the Facebook page at some point. But you need to set aside your pride and say, I need to trust Jesus. Believer, Michael, you need to trust God with the 300 and not depend on the 32,000. And say, I don't see how, God, you can do this. How you can get me through this. Because God's response is, you don't have to see how. Just trust Him. And, and there, there was pride at the beginning. Gideon's reservations were because of pride. God, how could you do this? We didn't do anything. Let's not let that pride lead to doubt, lead to panic lead to pride when God does something in our lives. Let's not let our lying eyes win. And let's trust God that He's got a better plan than we can, than, than we could have. Pray with me. Father, I thank You. I thank You for the struggle. I, I, I thank You that it's not easy and that's that's stupid it sounds like but lord if, if it were it's it's like exercise if it were easy we'd all do it and 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 you know it, it, exercise works because it's not easy faith works because it's not easy trust works because it's not easy and lord i thank you that that it is a it's a stretch it's an exercise for us to say God, I don't know how you're going to do this with 300. That's not the number I had in mind. And then you just say, watch me. Child, watch me. Because you have good plans for us. You, you, you have a future for us based on our obedience that is wonderful and, and kingdom-minded. And that might, even not, might not even look like what we think it should look like even when we get there. But Lord, you've got the, the plan that we need and you've got all the abilities that we need and you have all the people and all the resources. And Lord, may we just have faith and trust. May we hear your, your voice saying, I'm sending you. I'm going to defeat them. You just do what I say. God, help me to have the faith that I need. And help me never to look at what I have done and say, boy, wasn't it a great, great decision, a great plan, a, a great ability on my part. May it never be for the Lord and for Michael. 
May we never be for the Lord and for First Baptist Church. But may we always have as our battle cry for the Lord. And that's it. God, we thank you for your patience with us, and we thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So next week we will be back here in this room, and it will be so much better to see people in here, more people in here, not just the five or six of my family uh, and John, um, but to see you all here. And I look forward to gathering together again as a church family.